Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. I'm your host, Nate Aiken. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to invite you to join us for our next Christ Center and Clear conference on Saturday, October 21st in St. Paul, Minnesota. We will focus on how to see and share Jesus from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is the focus of our podcast for the next few months as we work through uh, passages each week connecting the work of Jesus to the promises God made in the Old Testament. We introduced Hebrews in our last two episodes discussing questions like who wrote Hebrews. We're going to ask another question about that here in just a minute. What are the major themes? What are some of the tough passages? And today we're just going to begin our walk through Hebrews, focusing on the first three verses. Uh, joining me today uh, are John Aiken and Josh Redberg, who've been on many times. And so uh, we're going to dive in, but let me read those opening verses, just if you're in the car, out running, whatever you're doing as you listen to the podcast. Uh, I'm going to read Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and we'll ask John in a minute who wrote these words. But Long ago, God spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, John and Josh, thanks for thank you guys for being on. John, let's start with you. Who wrote those words? Josh and I gave our thoughts uh, in, in a previous episode, but we haven't had you on yet. So, who do you think wrote those words? I wish I had a super clever answer to give. Honestly, this is one of those questions that at some point in my life, starting theological education, I gave a rip about, and now I don't spend any time <laughs> thinking about it whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like one of those, like, you know, peccability, impeccability kind of questions. And it's like, I don't know. And it, and it doesn't even matter to me. Here's what I can tell you. The book of Hebrews, when I was in seminary and to this day is my favorite book of the Bible. Hmm. And, um, and so yeah. I, I love the book of Hebrews so much of what has formed me in terms of how I approach the old Testament. A lot of that's come from mm. reading the book of Hebrews. And so I love the book. I have no idea who I do. I am pretty sure I don't think the Lucan theory holds water. I think it's different from Paul. So if you had to like nail me down, I would say, uh, you know, Apollos Creed <laughs> might be as good as, as we got. So the title of the previous episode. Well, let's jump into these three verses then. Josh, I'll start with you. Um, why, why does he open by connecting Jesus to God's past revelation? Uh, how does that sort of set the stage for the rest of the book as well? Well, he's showing how Jesus is the culmination of all that's come before. And really, there's so much Old Testament uh, background in the book of Hebrews. And so like he, he's got to show the progression of revelation that everything before was preparing for the coming of Jesus. And so he does it masterfully in these first three verses, just some some simple, as far as short phrases that are so full of meaning, uh, demonstrating how this all has led to, culminates in the work of Christ. And so it's an, it's really the baseline for everything that comes after it. You know, why does he look at these Old Testament prophecies and promises and stories and lead them to Christ? Because all of them were preparatory. Mm -hmm. So he's He's sort of summarizing where he's going with this whole thing, that all of it leads to Jesus. John, thoughts there? 
Yeah, I would just say that while we don't know who the author is and we don't really know who the audience is, it, it is clear that the author assumes that his audience has knowledge of the Old Testament. I mean, a, a pretty thorough and extensive knowledge of the Old Testament. And so what he, he is trying to point this out, that Jesus is the culmination. He's, he's the fulfillment. He's superior to the, these things, while great and glorious, were shadows that were pointing to something greater. And that greater is here, and um, and so he he wants them to be able to see how awesome Jesus is, and then obviously it's going to have a practical function in terms of okay now persevere yeah. in the faith yeah. uh, despite persecution and so forth, um, and so I think I think that's why he's he's setting it up to say all of these things that were being pointed to, hoped for, that were left unfulfilled. I mean, they've they've come to fruition in Jesus, and He's just so much greater than all those other things. That to think of walking away from this is just uh, insanity. John, when He's talking about revelation in the sense of uh, to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways, do you think He has the whole Old Testament canon in mind? Do you think He has specific uh, passages, uh, prophecies in mind? What do you think when you read that? How are you sort of interpreting what the author is saying there? Yeah, I see it as a just the sweep of the entire Old Testament and how God had in, inspired the authors to write the Old Testament. I also think it's referring to things that Scripture indicates to us about how God was communicating through prophets in terms of maybe things that weren't written down specifically, but were but events that are recorded for us with certain things that with him appearing to Samuel, for example, and speaking to Samuel and then Samuel relaying things to the people, him speaking to Moses and Moses relaying that to the people, um, that this is the way that God communicated. So God is a, is a God of communication. He, he reveals himself to his people. He does that through prophets. Um, and he's done it in all these different ways, um, throughout the storyline of the old Testament. And, and some of those ways are, uh, quite striking in terms of telling Hosea to go marry a woman of whoredom or, you know, um, just, just different, different ways that, that he's, communicating with people it's yeah. it's very diverse yeah. uh but that it was mainly through that channel and now all of that's pointed to this supreme communication revelation that he's given us in jesus the culmination of a special revelation josh anything you would add there well he talks about communicating through jesus in the last days so everything before the last days i think is included in that verse one mm. so um, everything preceding the last days, which are, you know, come with the, 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 the birth, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, inaugurating the last days, everything before that was preparatory for this. So I, I think it refers to the whole scope of revelation um, from, you know, from when God said, let there be light up until uh, the, the coming of Jesus. And I do think too, to that, to that point, that the phrase in the last days is incredibly important um, mm. for preachers, especially who, you know, I, I don't know what your, you guys experienced Redberg brothers were, but I mean, our experience was to hear preachers talk about the last days as something that is still off in the future yeah. mm -hmm. and, and how the, in the, in a new Testament worldview, we yeah. are in the last days have been in the last days for 2000 years when Jesus walked out of the grave when resurrection from the dead happened, then we entered into the last days. Um, and so we, we are not 
waiting for the last days. Like we're in them right now. Mm. Uh, and that, that shapes the way that we should approach the Bible. Um, and it shapes the way again, for me, going along with what Paul says in St. Corinthians one, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So, so in some way, every promise that God has made in the old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus. We may not have gotten to the culmination of that or the full fruition of it, but we, but it has in some way been fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. It, it, with that, Josh, so uh, I'll come to you first and then back to John. Um, we're going to sort of get an unpacking of how he has spoken to us uh, by his son and how the, the writer is, is helping us see the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. But he says here, God has appointed him heir of all things. Uh, what, what do you think that means? What are the implications of that for both individual Christians, but also churches? Well, the heir of all things, if, if he's the heir, I mean, there's, there's sonship in there, certainly, which is such a big part of the previous promises of the coming of the Messiah, right? Is, and he'll quote that so much throughout the book of Hebrews, including later in this chapter, these promises of the son from Psalm 2, Psalm 110, uh, different places like that. So there's sonship in there. But there's also like if you're the heir, you're the son, certainly, but beyond that, you're the one to whom everything is given. And I think that's a huge part of Hebrews is that everything belongs to Jesus. That when when God says, you know, like we'll look at um, I think on next week's podcast, the the less the rest of chapter one, you know, you are my son, like he's he's giving to him all of the nations, he's giving him all things. And so if everything belongs to Jesus. I think that has great implications for the lives of individual Christians. That means we do. Mm-hmm. So you get up today and you think like, what do I want to do today? That's really not the question you should be asking. It's yeah. I belong to Jesus. What should, what does he want me to do today? Like, that's the mm-hmm. first question. A church, like what are, what did we do in the past that can be helpful at times? Um, what do we think we should do? Those aren't, horrible questions, but they should be secondary questions because Mm. I'm not the heir of all things Mm. like Jesus is. And so the Lordship of Jesus, his, his earned possession of all things and all people is I think inherent in this phrase. And therefore it should drastically affect every, every moment, every circumstance, every situation that we find ourselves in both individually and as a church. Mm. Yeah, I think that, um, and I, I love what Josh unpacked there, and this, uh, especially the practical ramifications of it. I, I think we just have to ask the question: like, what are the what are the things that God promised? What are what is the inheritance that He promised in the Old Testament? Um, and so, specifically, we have reference to the promises that He's made to Abraham, just promises of land, you know, offspring and blessing. And then Paul expands that. I think really Psalm seventy-two and other places, and then and then and then Paul expands that to say that God promised the entire cosmos to Abraham, and so uh, so Jesus is as the offspring of Abraham. He's going to inherit the land of Canaan. He's going to inherit from sea to sea uh, the entire earth and he's going to inherit the entire universe. So every, so every, the entire cosmos, so everything is, is his, it belongs to him. And then the amazing thing that is, is, is fleshed out in Hebrews and, and, and other places in Paul's writings is that we're co-heirs with Christ. So we, we get to, 
share in that inheritance by virtue of being mm. identified with the son. Mm. Good. Uh, John, I'll come back to you and then to Josh. Uh, there's, we talked about in the previous uh, podcast that the book of Hebrews has helped the church avoid heresy in, in, with many of the distinct things that have come up uh, throughout church history. You're able to point to Hebrews and, and to, to combat some heresy, and really it, it jumps off right from the beginning. I mean, there's a ton mm-hmm. in these first three verses about the deity of Christ, uh, some massive theological truths. How how would you, even if maybe just thing on those two levels, one, just how would you help people understand the deity of Christ? But even just preaching this, how much time would you give to sort of theologically unpacking what's happening in the first uh, couple of verses? We'll come back to the application that we would draw from that, but maybe just first and foremost, theologically, how would you unpack that if you were teaching these verses? Yeah, so so one, I would definitely spend significant time trying to teach theological um, at, a, at an appropriate level for your congregation, but to teach theological truth, and then certainly to say, now, here's why this is important, okay? Um, and, and I'll just mention this just briefly, I, and, and, you know, if, if I can't remember who the pastor was, and if it was somebody that you wouldn't recommend everything he says, and that is, it's fine, but there was a pastor that I saw years ago who was doing a series on the attributes of God, and, um, and uh, his setup for that series was this like, you know, bumper video, whatever, where he talked about when he was a kid uh, in his neighborhood, there was like that one house that was like, you know, the weird house, the creepy house, the house that none of the boys in the neighborhood wanted to to go near because you thought the people in there were mean and violent. So the ball got hit back there. You you just like, oh, it's gone, you know, kind of Sandlot type thing. And then they and then as they got older, they would like try to bet each other i bet you won't run and like touch the 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 deck or whatever and then he tells so he goes on and tells the story of how one day he he was supposed to go up and run and knock on the door and then leave and that these people would come outside at night and stuff wearing like black robes and stuff and like it was just like really weird and so he he like slid down the the porch and like just like collided with the door and like spilled out and he he's like couldn't get up and the people came out you know, and he's like freaking out and they like helped him up and were super nice. And they, they like had like a film business or something. And so it would film scenes in their backyard that accounted for all these things. And his whole point was like, um, we had these assumptions about them. We didn't really know them. We didn't know who they are. And so we couldn't have a right relationship with them. But once we got to know them, then we, then we had a relationship with them. And so if you're going to have a relationship with God, you have to know who he really is. And that, that, that entails, doing theology. So I'm not saying you have to be like a soup, you don't have to, you know, be super uh, uh, complicated or like read passages from Grudem or something, but you do need to be able to say, look, here's what Hebrews is pointing out. Jesus is the creator of the world. Okay. That, that he, he is the, 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 he's the second person of the Trinity. He, he is, he is uh, the radiance of the glory of God. I mean, this is a, this is a phrase that every a uh, person who knows the Old Testament is just, it's like jumping off the page. It's the glory of God, the Shekinah glory cloud of, of God that, that was visibly manifest in the middle of the camp of Israel that would, they would move when he moved. They would stop when he stopped. Uh, they had to offer sacrifice in order to go into his presence. Like this, 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 he, he consumed the Holy of Holies in the temple. Like, this is this is the very presence of God in the midst of His people, and the, and He says Jesus 
is the radiance of that. And he's the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, and so that he's, he, he's, he is revealing God to us. He is God. Uh, literally the reason why the universe isn't flying apart right now is because he's upholding it with his word. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think you have to, you have to teach those things and to say anything that is that, that, that teaches preaches or proclaims at Jesus that doesn't match with this description is out of bounds. And it's not just out of bounds in terms of you're in error. It's you're not going to know him rightly mm-hmm. if you're in this error. And yeah. so you need to know him rightly so that you can have a relationship with him. Yeah. Josh, what would you add there? I think that was excellent. Uh, thinking of the Old Testament imagery about the um, the radiance of God's glory, I think grounds that. I think maybe in, in uh, another way to uh, help people picture it as well is, I don't know if you guys grew up with in old buildings that had radiators. Um, the, the high school I went to had radiators, oh, yeah. you know, which you could hear them start in class, like in the winter, like popping and hissing and all of a sudden they finally going to warm up. But when they started warm up, like, I mean, it, it, they got hot. Like if you stood near <laughs> it, it just today. is exactly. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. You will melt if you sat. So yes. like, you don't want to sit, you want to sit on the opposite side of the room if you're a guy who sweats. Right. But if you're near it, it's just, it's just pump. It's radiating out of that. And here's what it's saying, like, mm. and I think, you know, just this is however many years removed from the seeing Jesus in the flesh, 30 years removed, depending on when you think it was written. There are people who remember seeing him in the flesh, or they've talked to people who've seen him in the flesh. And you're saying what you witness in the flesh, actually, like the glory, all of the excellencies of God flow perfectly out of him. Like if you were near him, they would like that radiator. It would, you know, it could scald you with the glory of God. Like Mm. he, like that's, it was, it was coming out of him in that way. In a, in a sense that is even is distinct from us. You know, it's always Mm. sort of secondhand for us, but from, from Jesus, you know, it came from his very nature of who he was. So maybe some imagery like that, that helps people um, connect it as well to, to something they can sort of touch and feel. Cause I think, so it uses imageries intentionally to help us help us get get our minds around it. I do think too, using the radiator, uh, I love that analogy. It, if you want to really like scare people, you can talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark and how the Shekinah melted people's faces off faces. when they approached him uh, in an unauthorized kind of way. <laughs> yeah. But I but I do think so. I say that jokingly, but I do think so. Th- so this this idea of God in the midst of the camp was both a thrilling thing and a frightening thing. Right. And so it was, it, it was, it, it was a thrilling thing and that God is with us and, and we can see him. And he's, he's, as one preacher said, he's uh, air conditioning during the day because he's the cloud protecting them from the sun. And then he's heat at night because he's the pillar of fire or whatever. But he also could break out in fire on the camp. If you, mm. if you, you know, yeah. if there was sin in the camp, um, and then what happens in the old, in the old Testament, when, when the exile happens, the glory cloud leaves the temple and never comes back. Hmm. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I just think, I think setting up those kinds of images are, are powerful. And that's what he's saying to these people who understand the old Testament. Like, yeah, when you saw Jesus in the flesh, what you're seeing is the glory cloud of God in, in human form. Hmm. I love the picture. So just in one of the things said here about his creative power, creating the world. 
I love the picture of C.S. Lewis, uh, Magician's Nephew, that Aslan literally singing the creation mm-hmm. yeah. of Narnia into existence. And I think it's a good, helpful way to, to see what the Lord has done um, to create the world and to sustain it by the word of his power. I want to, we, we we're running short on time, so we want to get out. I'm going to put two questions together and have y'all both answer, and then we'll kind of shut down for today. Uh, most of the time when we're doing Christ and Clear, we're in the Old Testament. We're trying to show how this thing's point forward. Hebrews, in many ways, is unpacking a lot of those strands of what we see in the Old Testament. But here we see not only is he powerful in his person and powerful in his create, you know, what he's done in creation, but he's also acted on behalf of sinners uh, in in this purification of sin. So talk about how you would use uh, Hebrews 1 through 3 to, to give it a gospel appeal, but then also how do we make it clear? What will be the application coming out of Hebrews 1 through 3? I'll, I'll leave it to either one of y'all to start first, and then we'll kind of get out of there on that. So if somebody makes purification for sins, it is saying that we're impure. So I think the gospel appeal mm. is why, why is purification for sins important? Why does it matter? It's because we're impure. And so certainly you're going to, maybe, maybe here you're going to seed some of the things you'll talk about in later passages, you know, when we get into chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, and it's talking about priesthood, and it's talking about once for all sacrifices. So it's probably a place to begin to say, like, we'll see how he does this in more depth. Um, we'll see it in sort of this in living color. But but right here, it's just reminding us of we're impure. Like he had to, God had to do this to deal with the impurity in our heart and our life. And so I think it becomes a place to to just speak to the people in the room. You know, there are people dealing with impurity and some of them, some of them are trying to to clean themselves. Right. There's the the woman who feels trapped in her marriage and she's fantasizing that there's gonna be a man who comes and sort of rescues her. So she's longing for deliverance. The the elderly couple who buy a lottery ticket every night and there's hoping that this is gonna be what sort of preserves them and this is gonna be delivers them. And so there's there's all these things people are doing to try to deal with their fears and and their insecurities and most of all their impurity. That's what drives Mm. it all. And it says here, Jesus dealt with it. And then he sat down like he finished it. Mm. And that's, I think the ultimate good news of the book of Hebrews is that this is what Jesus did. He takes Mm. the impure, he purifies them. And then he sits down because he's finished the work. And so Mm. I think there's great hope and incredible application to everyone who's sitting there. That's good. Yeah. I I wouldn't add anything to the gospel appeal. I think that that was fantastic. In terms of just practical how do we flesh this out, make it clear? One is God has communicated to you in the Bible and supremely in Jesus. And so if you want to know him, there's a way to do that. And it's to read the revelation of him in, in the Bible. Um, and so to read about Jesus to, to both in terms of how he was anticipated in the old Testament and how he's presented in the new Testament. And so if you want to know God, God wants you to know him through his son, and so, and that doesn't just have, that does have salvation, like conversion implications. It also just has ongoing intimacy, growth in your relationship with God implications. And so you read about Jesus. So, so you learn about what it means to be lover of neighbor, to be hum, humble instead of proud, um, all, all of those kinds of things. The second would be that I would just say just briefly, the, the whole, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I, I would we've we've touched on how there could be judgment in the radiance of his glory and and that kind of thing and there could be a warning there as well 
uh, him upholding the universe. Like the, literally we sang it as kids, he's got the whole, whole world in his hands, but that's true. And that shouldn't cause you to sleep well at night. That should cause comfort. If you're, he's got you in his hands. Um, nothing that you're dealing with that you think is too big is too big for God. So, so prayer, I mean, like there's just tons of practical application there. And then finally, obviously the, the gospel application of, um, that he has made atonement for you and he's, he's made purification for you. And so no matter how dirty or broken or separated you think you are, what Jesus has done is enough because he sat down. Good stuff. Rich stuff. Um, yeah, we'll pick up obviously from there. We're just three verses in, but we'll pick up uh, next week. We do thank you for listening to the Christ and clear podcast. Next week, we'll look at the rest of chapter one and we will learn how Jesus is superior to the angels. Please join us then. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at com, and please visit us at com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Scripture.